Merry Christmas. Christmas time is upon us, and it's good to stop and look at the real reason for the season, and no one has a better perspective on that than the person that the season is all about. Jesus Christ came into the world seeking to save that which is lost. We are lost, and he came to save us. So in these next three podcasts, we're going to talk about why Jesus came in his own words. I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, to Luke chapter 19. And I know this morning that you'd say, well, the Christmas story is from Luke chapter 2, but really it's not just Luke chapter 2. Two weeks ago, I began to preach a very short series on why Jesus came in his own words. And if you'll go through the New Testament, you're going to find that he made a lot of statements about why he had come into this world. For instance, at age 12, when Mary and Joseph had found him in the temple after he was missing for three days, talking with the elders and the scribes and answering questions and asking questions, he said to them, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Why did Jesus come? He came to be about his father's business. What is his father's business? His father's business is our business. You can never say to him, stay out of my business or mind your own business. I'm telling you, you are his business. I am his business. Our church is his business. Our country is his business. Everything you can think about in this universe, it's all about the father's business. And Jesus said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And last Sunday morning when we came together, we looked at a passage of Scripture from John chapter 10, verse 10. Again, a thing that Jesus said, words that Jesus spoke about why he came in his own words. He said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't come that you, to allow you to continue down the road that you've been on, a road of lostness and separated from God. He came to give you life so that, 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 that death will not invade your life. I'm talking about death separated from Him throughout all eternity. He came that you might have life. And then also, and I believe this so much to be true, He came that the life that you're living right now would be an abundant life. And so Jesus came with a purpose in mind. The passage in Luke chapter 19 takes us to closer to the end of His earthly life. You say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, but it has a lot to do with why he came. And Jesus said to a man named Zacchaeus, you know about Zacchaeus, he's not a very tall fella, Uh, he's a wee little man, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see the Lord, and the Lord is coming into Jericho. Now, he's coming into Jericho for the very last time. Many times he's passed through Jericho, and maybe Zacchaeus was not in the dark about this man, this Savior, this person named Jesus. And so now Jesus is coming through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to die, be buried, and rise again. And so as he's coming into Jericho, Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree. You know this story. And if you want to go with me to Israel sometime, we'll take you to the sycamore tree, the very one. And for $2, you can get to see that sycamore tree. Well, he climbed a sycamore tree, not really the one that's still there, I'm sure, but, and the Lord looked up and he saw him up in the sycamore tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. 
And people were critical of the fact of what the Lord said in that I'm coming to your house today because Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is not looked upon very kindly at all. But in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 19, this is what Jesus said. Verse 9, this day is salvation come to this house for inasmuch as you also, he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? He came to be about his Father's business. Why did Jesus come? He came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. His last entry into Jericho. It's interesting that in another passage of Scripture, we have his last exit from Jericho. There's a blind man named Bartimaeus who is crying out as Jesus is making, and Bartimaeus can't see Jesus, but he knows that there's such an uproar, and he must have asked somebody, well, what's going on with well, Jesus passing by? And so he began to cry out, Jesus, Savior, have mercy on me. And the more he cried, the more they tried to shush him and say, shh, be quiet. And he would say it again, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus opened the blind eyes of Bartimaeus that Bartimaeus would see. It was the last opportunity Bartimaeus had. It was the last opportunity Zacchaeus had. And every time when we gather together, it could be the last opportunity that you have. This morning, I want to share with you these things from this passage of Scripture. It simply says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Why Jesus came. You look around this building today, you can tell the story of Christmas we can tell the story of how he came. We can tell the story with the setting of what took place. We can talk about the journey that Mary and Joseph made from Bethlehem or from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We can talk about the angels that appeared to the shepherds while they watched over their flock by night. You've just seen it acted out here today. You can talk about the birth of the baby there in a manger. You can talk about the wise men that made that journey following the star. All of those things you can tell about, but I'm telling you, you've missed Christmas if you don't know why Jesus came. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Now, first of all, our Messiah's title, our Messiah's title, he is the Son of Man. This is how Jesus referred to himself. The Son of Man, not only in this place, but throughout the New Testament, in fact, 80 times, over 80 times in the New Testament, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew 20.28. 20, Foxes have their dens, birds have their nest, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Matthew 8, 20. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. But you've got to understand that the Son of Man, the title of the Son of Man, did not originate in the New Testament. Listen to these words from Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The title Son of Man seems to be the title that Jesus used of himself more than any other. And this is what I think, and this is really important at Christmas, but any other time of the year. He is taking the fact that he is a man. Jesus is a human. He knew pain. If you cut him, he bled. The Bible says, in fact, in the book of Hebrews, that he was tempted in all points. Like as we are yet without sin, let there be no doubt about it, the the Son of God became a Son of Man. Uh, That's the clear thing. His, His humanity is made very clear in the New Testament, but not only His humanity, His deity. Get this, folks. In Jesus, God and man come together in such a way that He is 100% man and 100% God. You say, mathematically, that can't work, but it is true. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. As Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, so much man that he is not God at all, but so much God that he is not man at all. His, the Messiah's title is Son of Man. Sometimes in the Bible, he's referred to as Son of God. Sometimes he's called the King of the Jews. You know, they ask him that question, but he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But the thing that I want you to get this morning, our Messiah's title shows us the fact that God came down to man. Now, not only the Messiah's title, but the Messiah's task. The Son of Man, that's his title, is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's his task. Why did Jesus come? Jesus didn't come to be a great humanitarian, and Jesus didn't come to do miracles, and Jesus didn't come to teach, to teach great truths. Now, was he a humanitarian? Sure he was. Did he do miracles? Absolutely. Was he he a teacher? How did this man teach? Not having learned, not having had the education others had, yet his insight was so great. He spoke in parables. Without a parable, he did not speak. I mean, he, he, those who, who got it, got it. Those who didn't, didn't get it. But The reason that he came was not to teach, was not to be compassionate, was not to live a good earthly example. Like He didn't come to be a a, uh, savior among a whole bunch of saviors. He came very distinctly as God come in the flesh. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. How does that apply to you? Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcast that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote the words to the song, Redeeming Love. From God's heaven to a manger, from great riches to the poor, came the Son of God to seek and save. From the azure halls of heaven 
to a rough and rugged cross, Jesus came and there is life for all he gave. From a loving heavenly father to a world that knew him not came the man of sorrows, Christ the Lord. In my wanderings he found me, bought my soul with his own blood, gave to me a peace that I could not afford. Redeeming love, a love that has no limits. Redeeming love, a love that cannot die. My soul will praise him throughout the endless ages with choirs extolling his great name on high. He came with a task in mind. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you ever do go to Israel, you can stand at Mount Arbel, which it's not only recorded one time in the Bible, but we don't know of anything amazing that happened. But boy, what of you? Because standing there on top of Mount Arbel, you can look out over the Sea of Galilee. The first time Betty and I went to Israel in 2008, it was right shortly after my dad had passed away. I was, I was queued up on an emotional high at that point or a low, however you want to say, but I was emotional. And it was late one evening, the first day, the fulfillment of the end of the first day that we'd been in Israel, and our guide took us up there just before sundown. It's a national park. It looks out over the Sea of Galilee, but down there at the base of that mount, Mount Arbel, is a place called Megiddo, and I, that Megiddo, not, not Megiddo, Magdala, Magdala. Who came from Magdala? Mary Magdalene. Jesus had cleansed Mary Magdalene. That had been why he came. He came from Mary Magdalene. And you can look down on the Sea of Galilee and you can see Capernaum and Bethsaida and these little towns scattered around up there. All of them from one place. Everything is so compact and pushed together. And, and I had to think about Peter and Andrew and James and John out there toiling upon that sea and trying to catch fish. And I don't know if they caught 175 crappie over the limit. I don't have a clue. But there they are out there fishing. Uh, and Jesus comes to them and said, come follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. Now think about old Matthew that was seated at the seat of customs. He's just a state worker doing his job. Can I get an amen out of that? He's just a state worker doing his job. And maybe he didn't care much for his job. But Jesus came along one day and said, follow me. And Matthew left the seat of customs and came and followed him. Now think about a ruler of the synagogue up there who, Jairus, who one day Jesus was there in Capernaum. And, and from up there on top of Mount Arbel, you can see it. And there he is in Capernaum, and he comes to him and says, Come quickly, Master, my daughter's dying, my daughter's dying, my daughter's dying. And Jesus comes into that, that room there in that little humble house in Capernaum, I'm sure, and raised that little girl up from the dead. I think about others. I think about a little lady that was taken in adultery, and they wanted to stone her. I think about Zacchaeus. I think about Mary and Martha. and Oh, yeah, and they had a brother named Lazarus. Look, folks, you start right down the list. And you can see name after name after name after name after name. These were real people. They really lived. And Jesus Christ came for them. One day he said to Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. I'm so glad that Jesus came to my house too. I've never known what it was like to live in a home where Jesus wasn't. I was born Rural Route 1, Glencoe, Kentucky, in a little house there. We had red 
red shingle siding, I probably asbestos. That's probably what happened to my hair. <laughs> we had three or four rooms and a path. That path was very necessary because we didn't have indoor plumbing. And uh, so we had an outdoor toilet. You say that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. My, my mom taught school. You know how much money school teachers make, especially back then. My dad drove a dump truck and then later drove a concrete mixer. And My dad quit school in the 10th grade. He said the 9th grade was the three longest years of his life. <laughs> and then in 1960, mom and dad bought a house. They went to Louisville to buy it. How do you buy a house in Louisville and stay on the road? Well, they moved it in. And they moved this house in, and they set it up a little bit further out, Highway 16. And uh, it was a modular-type house. It wasn't rolling on wheels other than just they set that thing up in about a day, and that's where we lived in that little bitty house. But let me tell you, Jesus filled that house. And whenever a 10-mile Baptist church or preacher came through and they needed somebody to, to house him, we got kicked out of our room so that the preacher would have a place to stay and it was a whole lot of Sundays that the preacher came and ate at our house and when missionaries came to town, guest speakers, they always wound up at our house because that was kind of the way it was and that's what you call, by the way, hospitality. I was exposed to all that as a child. And then later we moved to the farm but I can tell you there's never been a time when Jesus wasn't in my house. Betty and I got married in 1974. We lived in a mobile home that didn't go anywhere. Just stayed there. We lived in a mobile home until we moved to seminary and we moved in an apartment. Boy, that was really neat compared to the mobile home. And then all through the years, Jesus has just been good to us. There's never been a time when I haven't known that Jesus was in my house. And my, how God has blessed us. But I was 18 when I came to understand that you can have Jesus around you all the time and not have him in you. That's right. So as an 18-year-old boy, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm telling you, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to save me. And he came for you. So there's the Messiah's title, the Son of Man. There's a Messiah's task. He came to seek and save that which is lost. But then there's our, our Messiah's touch. So he came to seek and save that which was lost. The people that Jesus touched, lost people, think of what he touched. And by the way, he didn't wear a mask and he didn't have on rubber gloves when he put forth his hand to touch a man's eyes and heal him. When he put his hand on a leper, the untouchable, with old runny sores. But Jesus has never been afraid of an old runny sore. If your life is just an old runny sore today, he's not afraid of your life. You say, my life is such a mess. It couldn't be any more of a mess than what it is right now. He is not afraid of your mess. He's bigger than all of that. He's not afraid to touch you. 
He touched blind eyes and made them see. He touched deaf ears and he made them hear. He touched the leper and he made them clean. And one day when Jairus had invited Jesus to come to his house because his daughter was sick even to the point of the death, Jesus went into that death chamber and touched that little girl and took her by the hand and said, get up, honey, and she did. That's the kind of Savior we have. He reaches right in the sores of our lives, and he changes us. We have a weight of sin that Jesus dealt with on the cross. We could never have done it for ourselves. We could have never helped ourselves. But here's the Savior who cares about us. And though our sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. My sin and your sin, he gave his life, the Bible says, a ransom for us. He paid the price. So really, when you get right down to it, there's only one time in all of humanity that we had perfect free will, and that was in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve had a decision to make, and they made the wrong decision. I think you could say, left to ourselves, we make wrong decisions. It's been described as if they stood on the edge of a great pit, and they could have stayed out of the pit because they were out of the pit, or they could have gotten in the pit, and by choice, because they disobeyed God, they got down the pit. So since then, everybody has been in the pit. You say 2020 has been the pits. Yeah, it has. Some years ago, I read this. A man fell into a pit, and he couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician calculated how far he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent asked if he were paying taxes on the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A preacher said, you deserve your pit. A possibility thinker said, this pit is just in your mind. Now I'm going to digress just a little bit. Joel Osteen said, you can have your best pit now. <laughs> Donald Trump said, your pit is huge. Bigly. We're going to build a wall around your pit. Kamala Harris rolled her eyes at the thought of the pit. Joe Biden said, come on, man. Is there a basement in this pit? A psychologist said, your mother and father are to blame for you being in the pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. But Jesus came to our pit and lifted us out. In loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim, and from the depths of sin and shame, by grace, he lifted me. From sinking sand, he lifted me. With tender hand, he lifted me. From shades of night to realms of light, oh, praise his name, he lifted me. And that is why he came. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate 
you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.